commission for the free app. Just so you know, it's just a great thing to have. Um, it just genuinely is. So this morning, we're looking at this text that the Cheryl has read for us. Thank you so much. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into it, all right? Father God, we thank you for this beautiful day in Perth. We thank you that you love our city. Um, we know that you love our city because all over our city, um, there are, are people who uh, believe in you, know you, trust you. There's churches, God, and we know you have a hope for our city, a desire for our city because you've called us to be here, to love those around us, to spread the good news of Jesus to those, our neighbors, our, our schoolmates, our work colleagues. Um, you must love our city because you've put us here to share the great news of Jesus with those in our city. If you, uh, if you didn't love our city, surely we wouldn't be here. Um, and so we thank you for this wonderful city, this beautiful city. We thank you for loving this city. We thank you for loving us. Um, we thank you, God, for everyone who's here this morning and your love for them. We pray that by the time people leave this place today, the one thing they'd be sure of is God is nuts about them. God is more for them than they could ever dream or imagine. And God is, His love is more real than they could ever hope for. And we just pray that you would uh, make yourself known here in this place, Lord. In your precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Um, none of us want to live a worthless life, a meaningless life, or none of us want to have a worthless death. Um, it's kind of intrinsic into us. You don't have to go to school and learn to care about your life. You are born caring about your life, right? And then you go to school and you try and make something of your life. Uh, that's the, that's the, whole, the whole point of it is try and get some education so you can make something of your life. We all want to make something of our lives and we don't want to be worthless. We don't want to be meaningless. We want to belong. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. Um, we, we don't, I don't know if, if many of us in this room desire to be great. Some of us probably desire to be great. Many of us probably are just happy to have a meaningful life, to know that what we did mattered, that, that we left the world better than we found it. Um, that would be success. And Paul is not dissimilar. Uh, Paul, who wrote this book to the Thessalonians that were Christians in the city of Thessalonica, Paul writes this letter to them, and uh, he doesn't want to live a worthless life either. Paul has given up a lot. Paul is a very, uh, one of the greatest intellectuals in his uh, time and in his religion that he, that, he's come, that he got saved out of. He was a, a Jew before he be, uh, got saved, before he became a Christian. Uh, he was, he was one of the, becoming one of the greatest Jews, one of the greatest teachers of Judaism. Uh, he was a wealthy man, uh, and he was, he was climbing up the ladder within his religion and within uh, kind of the power structure of his society. And so Paul's going up and up and up, and then he becomes a Christian, and he goes right to the bottom, because the, the gospel's like that. It's upside down. Uh, it, it makes all people equal. There's no one more superior. God uses whatever gifts we have for the benefit of other people. Um, and so Paul, he, he is no longer bothered about whether he's going to be wealthy or poor, whether he's going to get recognition or none. But he still wants to live a meaningful life, even though the definition of what's meaningful has changed for him. And so Paul says to these Thessalonians, he says, um, our coming to you was not in vain. What a relief. You know, um, I, I have uh, four children, as most of you know, two of them are teenagers, uh, which, and, and can I just say, as far as teenagers go, I think mine are delightful from what I'm told. I've only been one teenager myself. I was a, I'm a sibling of another teenager, my sister, as we went through it, 
And then I've only had two teenagers so far, so my experience is not vast, but I hear that teenagers can be difficult. It's not my experience so far. But there are times where with teenagers you say things a lot more frequently than maybe you did when they were smaller. Why? Because their brains have grown a little bit, their wills have grown a lot, their opinions have surpassed Elon Musk's dreams. <laughs> and so there's a lot more interaction, a lot more discussion, a lot more pushing back, a lot more challenge, a lot more let's talk about this, let's reason, let's discuss, let's figure it out. But it's nice to be able to, uh, look, to, be able to go for a walk with Nass and say, hey, that difficult conversation was not in vain. Look at the decisions they're making. Hey, that difficult season was not in vain. Look at their choices. Hey, that um, scar was not in vain. What a privilege. And sometimes we don't get to say that. Sometimes, you know, I imagine my folks would have to look at some of the decisions I've made in my life and go, that was in vain. <laughs> look, at, look at what he did anyway. Right? Paul is able to say to the Thessalonians, our coming to you was not in vain. Wow. I wonder if you can say when you leave King's Cross today, going to church was not in vain. I hope so. I wonder if I can say when I go home today, hey, preaching that sermon was not in vain. Oh, I hope so. But you, you understand, you know, the sense of the privilege of being able to say that thing that we did that was a great deal of effort was not in vain. It was very worthwhile. There's been teams from this church who've, who've gone out and they've uh, gone on some missionary trips. And I think of one in particular that went and did some uh, particular building and development of a, of a property for a, a group, a church. And then months later, it was all gone and given away, kind of lost. Oh. Was that in vain? Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. But if we could, if I, you know, if, if we could hear, oh man, they went from that, they went from strength to strength to strength, and they've grown, and they've improved, and people have got saved, and blah. Wow, that was not in vain. I'd do that again any day of the week. Right? There's a certain encouragement, and, and Paul's encouraged in this way um, with the Thessalonians. Our coming to you is not in vain. And he says, um, the reason we came to you was to declare the gospel of God. So this is what, what the measure is. We came, their intention was to tell you the good news of Jesus, the gospel of God. That's why we came. So keep in mind, their intention was to share the good news of Jesus and their coming was not in vain. So there must have been something good about um, their re receiving of the message of Jesus. Um, but remember that Paul and them came under trial, he says, we had suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi. Those are two different forms of suffering. We, were, we had physically suffered, they were beaten, and, and we were shamed. You know, there's emotional and physical suffering, mental suffering that we experienced in Philippi. This is what we came out of. And then when we came to you, there was great conflict. We were sandwiched between incredible difficulty. When we came to you with the good news, it, it wasn't because... You know, we were, uh, it was, you know, when you, you drive down Thomas Road uh, from King's Park, you can see the next big thing happening in Perth because of the flagpoles. And sometimes it's a month away, sometimes it's a week away, but, you know, 
there's, the flagpole's always telling us the next exciting thing that's, that's happening. There was no city that Paul ever went to that put up flagpoles, Paul's coming. He, he was, um, on the right side was suffering, on the left side was suffering, and right in the middle was, we're one to tell you about Jesus. So you can see what a relief it is that they didn't come in vain, because they're suffering, they're suffering, and if it's not received, what was it worth? Why are we doing this? So this morning, I want to just show you something about what Paul uh, brings to them and to us. So what we're going to look at is four things. <coughs> the gospel is the message from God that comes with the character of God to the people of God so that they are able to live for God. Okay, so the gospel is the message from God. You're here in, in um, this church called King's Cross. It was an interesting welcome when Jib came up on the mic. He said, hello, King's Cross. Well, what does that mean? I mean, you could go like, who's, what a weird name. Who's Jib speaking to? If you're a visitor, my gosh, there's someone here named King's Cross. They got their own welcome, right? King's Cross, our, the understanding of the Bible is that the church is the people. Hello, hello to the people gathered under the name of King's Cross. And it was a wonderful welcome because it brings in, if you're a visitor, you're welcome. If you've been here for years, you're welcome. Welcome, King's Cross. You're here, and we're allowed to be here um, at the moment. Who knows when Christianity will become illegal in our country, but at the moment we're allowed to be here. Not, there's no drama with that. And you get to hear about Jesus whenever you want. But I wonder if we've realized the privilege of that. Think about it. Th think about what happened, and I'm not going to tell you a lot of it, but, but think about some of the things that happened at the beginning of when uh, Jesus died and was raised to life and then ascended into heaven, think about the beginning things when the good news began to spread. Some of the things that happened because the politician, politicians and religious leaders did everything they could to stamp out Christianity. The, uh, to Let's get rid of it. It's a nuisance. Let's just trash it. So if you imagine, hey, there's a small group of people who believe in Jesus Christ. Let's just get rid of them all. They're worthless, useless um, troublemakers, and then we can get on with our lives. That's kind of the, the, the attitude um, to it. And yet 2,000 years later, the gospel has gone, uh, the, the Bible is the most read book in the history of the world, year after year after year. The gospel has gone uh, bigger and more fruitful th than it's ever been. It just grows and grows and grows. And it especially grows under persecution. The more you press it down, the more it blossoms. Peter was, so, so some of the followers of Jesus, Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified. This is to silence them, to shut them up, to get rid of the gospel. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Philip died uh, some kind of torture. Historians aren't clear. James was stoned, and then he didn't die, so they clubbed him to death. Matthias was burnt to death. Latin tradition has John boiled in oil, and somehow he miraculously didn't die. Nero blamed the Christians for the fire in Rome, which gave him license to do whatever he wanted to them. Historians say that it was Nero who started the fire. So then he also crucified Christians, fed Christians to lions during the, the gladiator games, 
and then use Christians as flaming streetlights for his garden parties. Imagine driving down Kings Park, Thomas Road, this, uh, uh, whatever that road is, not Thomas Street, whatever that street is, and instead of flagpoles, we've just got Christians burning at night. What a nuisance they are. Let's just get rid of them. They're useless. Stephen, <clears throat> in the early church, there's this deacon named Stephen, and his job was to care for widows, make sure they've got food to eat. What did they do with him? They stoned him and killed him because he shared good news about Jesus. So think about that as a history. More recently, you know, the great philosophers of our time, someone like Friedrich Nietzsche said that, uh, or Nietzsche, however you say his last name, taught um, that Christianity was the most dangerous and deceptive lie, and that man should turn from God to himself. Get rid of this stupid, weak, worthless Christian lie and, and turn all your hopes and trust from God and trust yourself. And a lot of our culture today is formed uh, through his teachings. So modern Western society sees Christianity as dangerous. Uh, you can't share the claims of Christianity publicly uh, without a very good chance of uh, some big kind of pushback. And it's, the Western society is turning very, very, very quickly. So all I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to get at is, do you know that hearing the good news of Jesus, for you to hear that, what's guaranteed, fact, is that someone has severely suffered. Someone has severely suffered so that you and I could hear the gospel of Jesus. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about that. You, you didn't make them severely suffer, I don't, I don't think. Paul did. Paul, Paul was involved in making people severely suffer, and then he became a Christian. So maybe, you know, but I don't think that's any of you, and it's not me. I'm just wanting us to know that the reason we know the, the good news about Jesus is miraculous. It's because God wants you to know the good news of Jesus. It's because God doesn't let anything in heaven and earth get in the way of you knowing the good news of Jesus. It's because even if you try and kill everyone who believes in Jesus, you will, the news will still get out one way or the other. It's like a virus. You find someone who's got it, you try and, you know, let's kill them so that they die with the virus, and the person who comes to kill them catches the virus and spreads it themselves. That's often been the story. Let's get rid of those Christians and that the person who's trying to uh, put them to death sees the grace of God on their life get saved themselves. Think of um, the, the Philip the jailer. They get saved themselves, so even if they follow through with their order, they still end up spreading the gospel themselves. You just cannot stop it. It's amazing. Uh, and all I want you to know is that... God, God wants you to know the gospel. It's a miracle. And it's the message of God. There's no message in the world, there's no message that has changed the world more, even though it's not changed by the world. So what is, the, what is this message of God? Um, I'm going to give you a couple of quotes because one of them will, will make sense to you. Um, so Tim Keller writes, the Greek term gospel, evangelion, is distingu distinguished the Christian message from that of other religions. And evangel 
was news of a great historical event, such as a victory in war or the ascension of a new king, that changed the listener's condition and required a response from the listener. So the gospel is news of what God has done to reach us. It is not advice about what must be done to reach God. The gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that has been done for you that changes your status forever. It is not good advice. It is good news. So what is the news? The gospel is the royal announcement that the crucified and risen Jesus, who died for our sins and rose again according to the Scriptures, has been enthroned as the true Lord of the world. When this gospel or good news is preached, God calls people to salvation out of sheer grace, leading them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. God has entered the world in Jesus Christ to achieve a salvation that we could not achieve for ourselves, which now, one, converts and transforms (laughs) individuals, (laughs) forming them into a new humanity, and eventually will renew the world, the whole world, and all creation. C.S. Lewis says, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. This is obviously men and women. God descends to to reascend. He comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature He has created. But He goes down to come up again and bring the ruined world up with Him. The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all His enemies, that sin and death, so that there is no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. Alistair Begg says, Because Christ died for us, those who trust in Him may know that their guilt has been pardoned once and for all. What will we have to say before the bar of God's judgment? Only one thing. Christ died in my place. That's the good news, the gospel. The gospel is the work of God to restore humans to union with God and communion with others in the context of a community for the good of others and the whole world. God has determined to give you good news. It's what He's doing and no one can stop it. How does that make you feel? Even Paul and his friends suffered physically, emotionally, mentally, And they continued sharing the good news of God. And they could say, this has not been in vain. All right. So the gospel is the message from God. But it also comes with the character of God. This is important. It also comes with the character of God. If the message is from God, then it needs to have some of the character of God or or the character of God and how it comes to us. So how does the message of God's great salvation in Jesus come to us? You know, this is important. Let's say, you, let's say um, I want to let Nas, my wife, know how much I love her. You know, and I come into the room and I say, you, you tell me which one, you, which one embodies the message. Uh, hey, my woman. Um, it's been 18 years. And 18 years ago, I told you I loved you and would love you 
and we're still married, so you understand that's still happening. Right? <laughs> or 18 years ago, I stood in front of you and I told you that I loved you. I don't think my mind could even comprehend how I'd feel 18 years later. What I said then feels like a lie in comparison to how I feel about you now. I love you crazily. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to live up to how much I love you. Which one embodies the message? Not just the words, but the tones, the feeling. The okay, I'm just going to tell you, it's the second one. <laughs> Those guys of you who were taking notes for the first one, delete, delete, delete. <laughs> but not just the words and the tone, but also embodied, how you bring it, how, how you come with it. Paul says that when they brought the gospel, it came in a certain way. Firstly, it did not come through error. He says there was no, there was no, no lie in it. There was no, no falsity in it. The gospel came as a complete truth. Philosophies did not come as complete truths. You, you must understand that worldviews are not complete truths. They're ways of thinking and seeing, but they have falsity in them. They're broken. They, they're not all correct. There's ideas in them that, that may be good, but they are not complete truth. Paul says the gospel comes as a complete truth. It has zero error in it. Secondly, he says it comes without impurity. The message of the gospel doesn't lead to any sense of debauchery. It doesn't sense, lead to any sense of immorality. The message itself leads to purity. It leads to goodness. If you hear the message and receive the message, it doesn't lead you to anything bad. He says it doesn't come with deceit. This is like a bait and switch. Have you ever, you ever had one of those? Like a bait and switch that you, you get sucked into something. Um, it happens a lot on like apps and, and subscriptions. You know, like, you can have this subscription worth a gazillion dollars for like $2 a month. Like, yes, click, click, click. I'll have three of those, thanks. And then two months later, you're wondering how you're getting charged $80 a month for something. Bait and switch. Paul says there was no bait and switch. The gospel is simple. It's clear. It, it, every bit of it is communicated very simply, very easily, what God has done in Jesus for you. And after that, there is no more. There's no like, oh, now you've found out. You know, now you're in. Now let me tell you the other part you didn't know about, but you need to know about. Some churches do this so terribly. They say things like, and just to be very clear from the outset, this is not true. That's why it's terrible. If you want God's blessing in your life, then you need to do these things. You know, if you want to be wealthier, then give more and God will bless you more. If you, now, that's a bait and switch. Jesus has done everything to give you eternal joy. But hey, if you want a little more money, then just give us your money. That's a bait and switch. There's no bait and switch. When you hear that, you should yell at the top of your lungs in the middle of the church service, lies! <laughs> you just should. Just disrupt everything. And if you hear it here, I give you full permission. If you're a visitor, you might not want to because people will wonder who you are. 
but go for it. Paul says there's no deceit. It's a very simple, very clear thing. Even children can understand it, and that is it. He says there were no words of flattery. We didn't do it to please man. We didn't come and flatter you. We didn't, we didn't make you feel good about yourselves and then suck you in through flattery. You know, you know how flattery works. You want to manipulate someone to do something, you flatter them. Oh, you're so lovely. Oh, you're so strong. You know, this works with little kids so much. Oh, Zeke, you're so fast. Wow. Do you think you could get me my cup of water in like 10 seconds? Yeah, yeah, Dad, yeah. Like eight seconds. One, two. That's flattery. It's manipulation. It's using words to make someone feel something so they do for you what you want them to do. Paul says, we didn't come and flatter you. We didn't tell you things about you that were not true. We didn't come with a pretext to greed. We weren't trying to improve our lives off of you. And we, we, did, we took nothing from you. We didn't come and try to sell a, a, a book. This happens. The church does this again. The Christians have done this again. They, they write a book. They put a book out. Then they buy like 5,000 copies of their own book so that it becomes a New York Times bestseller so that other people buy the book. What they're doing is a pretext of greed. Even if that book is fantastic, you leave it in God's hands. If He wants to promote it, you promote it. If He doesn't, He doesn't. But you don't, you know, in other words, you don't go about doing things in order to get things. We didn't come preaching the gospel to get something from you. If you, if you go to a church where you feel like you are giving more than you are getting, wonder about it. at least in terms of its message. No glory from people. We didn't, we didn't come that you would praise us, that you would esteem us, that you would speak of us, that you would build a statue to us. You know, one day we're um, going to hand over this church, I'm sure, because I'm, I'm sure at some point... I will no longer be the leader of King's Cross. And then hopefully it won't be my death that causes that because I hope that then I can come back and visit it. And if this would break my heart, if you walk into King's Cross's building and there, you know, there's a cross on the front and next to the cross is another a statue of Mark <laughs> in his 30s because the 40s haven't been kind. In, in his 30s. Oh God, what did we build? Why did people, you know what would be great? You walk in, and a bunch of people you've never, who are you? That's awesome. Wow. Just another brother, just another sister, just a fellow follower of Jesus. Right? We don't, we're not looking for glory from you. We, we just, we want you to glorify Jesus. Anyway, that, that's what it doesn't come with. It does come with, he says, we did come to please God. We came gently to you. The gospel comes gently. You don't bash people over the head. God, look what Jesus has done to save you. Are you an idiot? Don't you get it? We came gently. We came affectionately towards you. We, 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 showed, you how, we showed you love so that you would know how God loves you. We showed it to you. We embodied it. I've had to say sorry to my kids so many times. 
Because so many times I've told them of my affectionate longing for them and showed them impatience. Those two things can't happen at the same time. They can't both be true. The Bible says love is patient. So I can't say, my child, whoever you may be, I love the heck out of you. You cannot understand how much I love you. You're just so small and dumb, you'll never get it. You can't be both impatient and frustrated and be saying, I love you like you can't imagine. Paul says we came affectionately, we came showing you the love of God through us to you. Yes, we came with scars, physical and emotional and mental. And yes, you saw us encountering conflict. And in that precious sandwich, you saw us ooze a love for you. We were so happy to be with you until you're about Jesus. You were exactly who we wanted to be with. Do you get that message? If you're not a Christian and you're here today, do you, do you know that? When you're around Christians, do you know that, that do they show you that God is crazy about you? Can you say to that, those Christians around you, yeah, but I'm not living exactly like you. I'm not doing the things that you... And do they give, give a message back? We know that. That's okay. You need to know how crazy God is about you. Are you gentle with others? They came generously. He says, we came ready to share everything. Rather than taking, they came to give. We came ready to share everything. We came not as a burden to anyone. They came with a lightness. If you hear a message about Jesus and it makes you feel smaller and smaller and is squishing you in your chest and you're struggling, you're not hearing it. No, they're not bringing it the right way. It came with a light burden. It came to lift their burdens. Hey, we've got good news. It's going to lift every burden of your life. We come with good news of eternal joy, of a forever forgiveness, of reconciliation with God, of all things brand new, of all these longings and hopes for satisfaction and contentment. They will come true one day in Jesus. And He's with you every time you struggle and suffer. You are never alone. We didn't burden you, rather we lifted them. And we came as an example. We showed you our way of living, if you just copied our, our life, we didn't say one thing and do another. We, we walked the talk. Do people still say that nowadays? Walk the talk? They do? Can you? No, Joel, no, thanks. thanks for the honesty, Joel. Joel's like my culture guru. Okay, so back in the day, <laughs> no, I'm joking. You, you did what you said you would do. Okay. Let's keep moving and get it to a landing. So the message of God comes with the character of God. You know, we didn't lie about anything. We didn't encourage you to sin. We didn't trick you with anything. We didn't manipulate you. We came gently. We came lovingly. We showed you God's message is not a burden, but Him lifting every burden off of you in the name of Jesus. We obeyed God. We lived for God. And we only did what was right in front of you. So the gospel is a message from God that comes with the character of God to the, to the people of God. He says, this was our conduct towards you believers. Paul's work was not in vain. He shared the good news. They received the good news. God's mighty power worked on the lives of the believers. They received it with conviction. They became Christians. If you're not a Christian and you come to King's Cross, this is what will, will, will probably happen. I'll just tell you. Uh, it can happen in different ways, but this is the most likely way in our culture for it to happen. 
you will come and then you know you, you go like these people are a little bit different i like this um but i'm not sure what i like i'm not i can't really put in words but there's a good vibe whatever i felt welcomed and then you might come again because you're with a friend and it's it's not as bad as you thought um and then you might come again cole's story was he came for like two years not not a christian just coming there's something about this message oh i'm starting to understand and then at some point, this is going to happen. At some point, you're going to realize, oh, I don't disagree with any of this. I think it's all, all true and right and good. And, and I think that's right. And you go, oh, whoa, hold on. Uh, am I a Christian? Hold on a second. I believe that Jesus really did come to die for my sins. I do believe that God loves me. I do believe God wants eternity with me. I do, uh, heck, I think I may be a Christian. <laughs> That's going to happen to you. So just stick around and um, let us know when, when that happens. So some others, you'll just come once and you'll hear the gospel and you'll become a Christian. That's fine. You can do that too. Um, but that's going to happen. Paul writes to me, he says, you believers, when that happens, when you realize that's happened to you, I want you to know something, that you, you're going to stay a Christian the same way you became a Christian, not of your own doing. It's a miracle of God working upon your heart. Everything else in your life, you, you think of like a chance and now year 10s or become a year 11s. Every, there's so much pressure on, on the, you know, what decisions are you making about the rest of your life? How much are you saving for your test? What grades did you get? Blah, 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 because that's going to determine the rest of your life, right? So if you fail, it's your fault. Um, I'm not anyone's parents... I am, I am someone's parent in this room, but to everyone who, I'm not your parent, and if you're in school, I just want to say that's baloney. But you should go check in with your folks on that. <laughs> what I can talk into is as far as the gospel, that's a bunch of baloney. That's not how you get saved. You get saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and you stay saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I write this, it wasn't in vain, we came to you, and I write this to you believers. In other words, not you believers today, I hope you stay that way, you believers who are we going to spend eternity with, everlasting joy, I write to you. I just want to say, if, if, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then find some confidence that He will hold on to you your whole life, and He will never let you go settle, rest assured. I remember growing up, my parents have a great marriage. They've been married like 40 years or something, I'm not sure. But I remember growing up as a teenager, or before teens, thinking, fearing almost every day, are they going to get divorced? I don't know why I thought that. Every time they argued, they're going to get divorced. I lived with this fear that, that never became realized. All I'm saying, I want to say to you is, if you have something of a fear in you, I'm a Christian, but what if tomorrow I turn away from Jesus? What if next year I make a bad decision? What if I stumble and fall? I want to say, Jesus has no fear of you. He has settled his heart on you. And he will never let you go. Never. Now said to me once, she doesn't have the ability to do this, but she said it to me once. You know, if you mess up and stumble and fall, if you, if you uh, do something that hurts me, whatever, just always come back to me. I always want to practice forgiveness. That was grace. That's an embodied grace. Mark, always let's work to come back together regardless of what happens. Great. But Jesus is the fullness of that. Jesus says not only, Mark, I want to work on forgiving you whenever I need to. Jesus says, I've already done everything I have to to forgive you whenever I need to. It's already finished. So just come. You never tried out for this. 
you didn't qualify for this, you didn't earn it, you didn't win the lottery. That's why, like Carl, you can just realize God's been working my heart. He's been tricky like that. How, when did I become a Christian? How did I become a Christian? God was working on your heart. God was massaging it, softening it. He was putting the messaging in it. He was giving you faith. And eventually, Carl realized, oh, I'm a Christian. Wow. God was at work. He wasn't trying out. Carl didn't have to be smart enough or dumb enough. He just had to stay alive. God's doing something in you. God is at work in you. It's not the best decision you ever made. It's not a decision you made at all. It's a decision He made for you. You didn't win the lottery. You didn't get lucky. You didn't get born into it. God chose you. You believed. So what gives your life meaning? As we draw it to close, He says... Okay, so the gospel is a message from God that comes with the character of God to the people of God. Here we go. What gives you life meaning so that they are able to live for God? If you have faith in Jesus, then the next part for you, the next step for you, is to live your life for God. Whether you've been a Christian for 40 years, whether you've been a Christian for four minutes, the call on your life is to live for God. Paul says, we came like fathers, and he's speaking, about, he's speaking in their context. In their context, a father, and I'm not sure about our context, we've all experienced different things from fathers. Some have had great fathers, some have had bad, but the, the context was that a father was supposed to train their children. They were supposed to use words to reason with their children to make certain choices. That was the father's job. The father was supposed to be engaged with their children, talking to his children, guiding his children, teaching his children certain things. So Paul says, we came like fathers. We came to reason with you, to talk with you, to help you understand. And he says to them, we came and we spoke to each one of you. So it wasn't just like King's Cross Sunday morning. Oh, I've done my job. Now I'm going to go home and do nothing for the six days. You know, Paul would say, no, we came, we, we shared with you, but then we came and we spoke each one of you as you had questions, as you had thoughts, as you had concerns. What about this? What decisions should I make about this? What does it mean about this idol? Hey, I was worshiping Zeus on Mount Olympus. Am I still allowed to do that? Hey, we were um, going to this thing and doing that. Are we supposed to stop doing that? Hey, my girlfriend and I are living together. Is that okay? Hey, uh, blah, 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 blah. And Paul said, we, would, we worked it out with you. Each one of you, as you were figuring out what it meant to live for God, we, we chatted with each of you day in and day out. We exhorted you, we encouraged you, we charged you. He, he's just giving different words to say the whole thing. We, we did everything we, we could to help you have the confidence to live for God. These are what these words do. These words, if, if they end up, it's like, again, imagine uh, NASA showing me little videos last night of, of um, uh, our children when they were much younger, and um, she gets joy out of it, and it, it splits my heart in 500 pieces. It's a difficult thing to go through. You've seen these little people. And one of the videos was Liberty learning to ride a bicycle. And those of you who know Liberty would understand the difficulty of trying to teach her to do anything. Um, she is ready to rule the world, but she's not ready to learn to ride a bicycle. Um, it's too slow for her, too little for her. She doesn't have time for that in her schedule. Um, so there's me, incompetent, trying to teach her, ready to rule the world, how to ride this thing called a bicycle on two wheels. And you can imagine then, with someone like her personality stumbles and falls, 
And it's like, I'm done. I never want to ride a bike again. I tried. That was a waste of my time. I'm out. I don't need to ride a bike. Dad, we have public transport in Perth? Yes, we do. Dad, you and Mom both have a driver's license, and Zeke and Ella and Charlotte are all going to have driver's licenses before I do, so that I have five drivers in this house? Yes, you do. Can I sell the bike and use the money for something else? <laughs> no, you can't. You, you need to learn to ride this thing. You can, Paul is coming going, hey, sometimes you're going to stumble and fall. Sometimes you're going to get set back. Sometimes you're going to lose confidence. We come, we encourage you. We, we have compassion with you. Compassion uh, enables them to go, we understand how difficult it is. We get it. We've been there. We've shared sufferings. Uh, but you can do it. You can do it. And after Paul's spoken to them, it's kind of like someone goes, hey, man, I really think I can live this godly life. I didn't think so five minutes ago, but I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. It's like giving Liberty a picture. Hey, Libs, I know riding a bike's difficult. I've got a few scars on my body from it as well. I get it. I know it's scary. I know your heart's racing. I know it's exhausting. I know it's difficult to feel like you're doing something you've never done before. I really do get it. I'm going to be here right with you. You can do this. And, and when, you, when you do it, I promise you, you're going to have more fun than you can imagine. Imagine what it will be like to ride from here uh, to King's Park. Uh, okay, Dad, uh, let's give it a go. I'm in. You, that's what Paul's doing. We, we did everything we could. Don't give up. We, we're with you. But all, everything we did was to help you walk in a manner that was pleasing to God. Everything we said, everything we showed you was to help, was one thing. Walk in a manner that's pleasing to God. What does that mean? It means... Don't walk in a manner that's pleasing to Mark. Don't walk in a manner that's pleasing to Josh. Don't walk in a manner that's pleasing to mom and dad. Don't walk in a manner that's pleasing to yourself. It means that you have a loving Father in heaven who's created you with purpose, and He knows how to live life. He knows what He has for you. He knows what He has for our history. He knows what He's doing. And He has a will for you. It says, Walk in a manner that's worthy of Him. Walk in a way that pleases Him. Do the things that God desires for you. Choose His paths. Choose His will. Choose His design. God has saved you from yourself. God has saved you from trivial pursuits. God has saved you into eternal life full of meaning and everlasting, significant love and joy and peace. It's done. It's done. If you are a believer in Jesus, here's a, let's say this is a chronological starting point. You have started. This is where you, 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 you will never go beyond this point. You have started your journey with Jesus. Well done. Here's, here's the ending point, but it doesn't really end. God's going to make sure you get here, which is eternal joy and satisfaction. One day God's going to bring us into a new heaven, a new earth, this life, but without sin, without death, without sorrow and sadness. This is where He's going to get you. He's got you there, and He's going to get you here, and you're somewhere in between. And Paul says, hey, walk that way. Head there. Get as... Get, there as, get as far there as you can. He'll get you all the way eventually, 
but that's where you're heading. Don't turn around and try to live on the other side of that. Don't go right. Don't go left. Don't get stuck. Head there. Wow. Who knew it was going to rain? So the gospel is the message from God. Have you heard it? You can say, I've heard. I've heard. Can you, can you just, um, if, if you have received the message of God, this isn't a bait and switch. I'm not going to um, trick you after this. Can you just say, if, if the gospel is the message from God and you have heard it, can you just say, I have heard? I have heard. Great. The gospel is the message from God that comes with the character of God. If you have experienced not just the message with words, but you have experienced God's love and gentleness and kindness through His people to you. You've been able to say, I have seen the gospel of God. I've seen the good news through people. I've seen people transformed. I've seen someone who was a racist become not a racist. I've seen someone who thought they were superior to everyone become humble. I've seen someone uh, who, who had all these goals of being great become a servant of others. Uh, I've seen someone care for me and accept me and love me when I didn't deserve it. I've seen it at work through Christians. If you have, um, the gospel is a message from God that comes with the character of God. If you have seen, witnessed the character of God through people, then say, I have seen it. Okay, there's a lot of people here that have heard it, and there's a lot of people that have seen it. That's good. We've got a good start. To the people of God, if you have heard it and you have seen it, then I want you to say to yourself and everyone else, as a declaration of truth, I am chosen. Okay, if, if you've said all that, just, let's, just repeat it with me. I've heard it, I've seen it, I've cho- I'm chosen. You're chosen. The Bible calls us adopted children of God. We all know it would be a very bad thing to take an adopted child back to the orphanage. It would be a wicked and evil thing. We couldn't imagine it. God will never do it. Adopted children are for life, eternal life. I've heard it. I have seen it. I am chosen. And finally, so that they are able to live for God, I am called. If you know, if you've said the rest, then I want you to say over yourself, I am called. Now, we've gone a bit quiet, so it's towards the end there. It's probably the length of my sermon. I apologize. But if, you've, if all those four things are true of you, I want you to say them with me uh, or after me. I have heard, I have seen, I am chosen, I am called. All right. And if you can't say that yet, then I want you to know this. God is working on your heart. He wants you to know His good news of Jesus, that He has done everything to rescue you and save you and to make you His child. He wants to show you it in love. He wants to show you a community. That's what the church is supposed to be, a community of light and love that shows you the gospel. And then He wants you to know that you are chosen. And He wants you to know that you are called. He has a purpose for your life.